Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Crimson flames tied through my ears, going high and mighty trapped. Countless fire and flaming rope, using ideas as my mind. Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Fort Erie, Ontario, Canada. Now, if you'd like to send me an email, xzonexzoneradiotv.com on all social media sites, xzoneradiotv. And if you'd like to see the broadcast schedule for the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. And on Simultv at www.simultv.com. Wow, it's just been one of those days here. Uh, before I get to our guest this hour, her name is Ellen Everett Hopman. Um, going back to November, we had a guest on the show whose name is Chandra Marie uh, Shirello, I think, or Morella, M-U-R-I-L-L-O. Now, she had sent us information to vet, and during the information vetting process, the university degree, and the certificate of completion, uh, completion, the degree was supposed to be in demonology, and the certificate was supposed to be in cryptozoology from a university in New Mexico. Well, it's taken over three months, but the results are in. I was right. She doesn't have those degrees. They were fraudulent. Uh-oh. <laughs> she made them up. We've got the information from the registrar's office at that university. Ugh. And uh, it's people like this that put a bad shadow on the good people within the paranormal community who are trying so hard to help people. So I just want to let, um, let uh, Shonda know that 
the gig is up. You are, in fact, a fraud. There. Uh-huh, Craig, you, we were right. Yeah, in, in fact, this guest was so irate with us that she demanded that we take her interview off of our archive platform so people could not hear the interview. I told her then, no way, we are not taking it down. Then what does she do? Well, she tried to get the Better Business Bureau to intervene and get them to um, get us to take it down. Well, unfortunately for Shonda, she doesn't realize that this is the media. The Business Bureau has no say in what we do. But in all fairness, what we did was we sent our findings of the investigation to the Better Business Bureau. And uh, the case was closed. She claimed to be an ordained minister, a demonologist, a psychic, and the list went on and on and on. But at the end of the day, she was exposed as a fraud. Remember that uh, the old saying, it's not nice to fool with Mother Nature? Don't try and screw the Exxon Nation. I won't let it happen. All right, onward and forward. My guest this hour is Ellen Everett Hopman. She is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild and author of a number of books, including Secret Medicines from Your Garden, Plants for Healing, Spirituality, and Magic, The Sacred Herbs of Spring, The Sacred Herbs of Samhain, uh, The Real Witches of New England, A Legacy of Druids, Conversations with Druid Leaders from Britain, the United States, and Canada. Uh, let me see, another book is The Priestess, The Priestess of the Forest Trilogy of Novels, and other volumes. She is the current Archdruid of the Tribe of the Oak. And joining me now is our good friend, Ellen Everett Hoffman. And Ellen, how are you doing? I'm great, and I really am a druid. <laughs> and, I, and I really am an herbalist. I'm, I'm not lying. Oh, I know you're not. <laughs> I, I know you're not. So. But it, you know what? It, it's, it's, if you're going to try and perpetrate a fraud... Don't you, you should do the research on the certificates that you're manufacturing. Ugh. Like she actually put a president. Now the one certificate was uh, in 2001. Another was in 2002. She actually put in the name of the president of the university, who didn't start at the university until 2011. <laughs> oh, you know, and, and the certificate we looked at it. And we said, "Oh my God, this is just a, print, yeah, a computer printout. It had no, it had no uh, emblem of the university. It had no seal. It was, it just looked bogus." And uh, the university agreed with us that it was not bogus. And last I heard, uh, they asked for her contact information from us earlier today. So, gee, that's an insult to demonologists everywhere. It's, I, I looked at it as an insult to people who actually go through university spending years and years and years to, to perfect the area of study that they're doing. And yeah. then you've got these wingnuts who just go on the computer, go to their local stationery store, buy certificate paper, and think that they can you know, perpetrate this fraud. Uh, education isn't what it used to be. No, but crime is. 
And when you try and pull the wool over our next policeman's eyes, it doesn't yeah. work. Oh, well. Anyway, so what's new with you? <laughs> well, um, I've been home for a year writing more books. That's what I've been doing, staying out of trouble. Well, that's not like you. <laughs> well, I didn't have much choice. <laughs> no. um, you know, circumstances, uh, the pandemic. Yeah. And all. <laughs> I hear you there. I hear you there. This pandemic has certainly taken its toll on, on everyone. Uh, how yeah, and you... I haven't had a, a vaccination yet. Um, I keep trying, but I mm-hmm. can't get one in my area. So, so I'm home for the duration, I guess. So tell me, as an herbalist, yeah. is there anything that, when it comes to the world of herbs, that could actually help people to fight this pandemic of uh, the COVID virus and the different variants? Yes, uh, there's quite a few things. Um, I can tell you that I believe I had COVID. Mm-hmm. And um, because I didn't know what it was, it was very early. It was last January um, before they were admitting that it was even here. And later they admitted that it was here. And in fact, they said that my part of the world, Western Massachusetts, was one of the places, New York, California, and Western Massachusetts was where it all started. And we, we ended up having a huge uh, epidemic here at a local VA hospital right. and so on. But but I didn't know any of that. So yeah. I just thought I had the flu and it was the worst flu ever. Um, and I just did what I usually do for the flu, which is uh, elderberry and echinacea, because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. So I did what I usually do, which is I take elderberry and echinacea tincture which i put in hot water or hot tea every two hours and i did that for a few days and i i remember i was i felt so awful at one point that i was actually considering calling an ambulance oh my gosh. that's how bad it was but again i you know nobody was saying that covid was here at mm-hmm. that point so i didn't know what was going on and i was asking cuz you know i live here by myself so i was asking myself i said self should you be going to the hospital you know and like but i just kept taking the elderberry and the echinacea every 2 hours cuz it was the worst sore throat that i've ever experienced in my life ever i mean it was just like a vice around my neck and um it, it was pretty scary but anyway it worked um about two days of that. And mm-hmm. then I was very, very, very tired for maybe three or four months wow. after that. Mm-hmm. Took a long time to get my, my strength back. Um, but I just thought it was a really bad flu. That's what it felt like. But that's just me. You know, some people have no symptoms at all. Some people have very mild symptoms. Some people have terrible symptoms yeah. and they do end up in the hospital. And, um, you know, but that that was my experience. Um, and here you are, healthy. Here I am. I'm alive. <laughs> as far as I know, uh, nothing terrible is going on with me. You know, they talk about the long haulers and mm-hmm. all that. But um, I'm always working on my immune system, I should say. You know, I've been doing that for years. I'm always taking, a, I always take a multivitamin, but then I always supplement with herbs, um, like right now I'm looking at, I have elderberry um, mixed with vitamin C and echinacea. I take that every day. Uh, or, you know, sometimes I'll take burdock root, which is a blood cleanser and a liver cleanser. I'll take that for a few months. 
Um, but I'm just always working on it. You know, there's, there's never a time when I'm not working on it. So maybe that's why I got through it. Um, for our listeners who may have not had the opportunity of, of, you know, having a, a person like yourself, a herbalist, as well as a druid on the show, can you tell us or share with us what a druid is? Like many people know about the druids at Stonehenge, but what do druids do in North America? <laughs> well, first of all, the druids did not build Stonehenge. That's a big misconception. They had nothing to do with it. Um, and Stonehenge was built in the Bronze Age or mm -hmm. the late Neolithic uh, Age, and it had several phases of construction. And the Druids were part of the Celtic culture, so the Druids actually came much later. Um, it's only because modern Druids like to hang out at Stonehenge, I think um, <laughs> people think of Stonehenge yeah. and Druids, but... Uh, we don't think of Stonehenge and Druids, no. actually. Um, well, well what is what is the history of the Druids? What are they? When did they when did they start? And what are their goals and objectives? Well, who knows when they started? But they were part of the Celtic culture as a whole, mm -hmm. and of course, even the Celtic culture we don't really understand yet. You know, there's one theory that it started um, around the Black Sea area. Um, and then migrated west, and then there's a whole other theory that it started in Iberia, what we call Spain, right? And and went north and east. So that's that's the current uh, battle right now is to trying to figure out where it actually originated. The only thing we do know is that the Druids were a, a caste or a class within the Celtic culture. And the Celtic culture was uh, part of the Indo-European uh, strata of cultures. And uh, Celtic culture looked very similar to Hindu culture, what we think of as Hindu culture. Um, so in Hinduism, you have the Brahmins. Mm -hmm. who, who, that's a class. It's a priest class. Um, in the Celtic culture, you had the Druids. Same thing. It was a class. So most people who were Druids were trained by their parents you know, they were born into the, it's called nemed, or sacred class. Uh, they were Brahmins, basically. And then in Hinduism, you have the Kshatriya, I hope I'm saying that right, which is the warrior class. And then in the Celtic culture, you had the warriors. Um, in Hinduism, you have the producers, or the farmers, and the craftspeople, and so on, um, artisans. And then same thing in, in Celtic culture, you have the producers. And then in Hinduism, you have the untouchables or the slaves. Same thing in Celtic culture, they had slaves. So it's the exact same uh, situation mm -hmm. all the way from the west coast of France all the way down into India. Wow. Listen, you and I have to take our first commercial break. Please stand by, Ellen. And thanks very much for joining us tonight. I'm Looking forward to sharing the rest of this hour with you and learning about the Druids, about the books that you've written, and much more. Exxon Nation, our special guest this hour is Ellen Everett Hopman. Visit her website at www.elleneverethopman.com. I'm Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. We'll be back after this brief message. Don't go away.
all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. At Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop children What's that sound? Everybody look what's going down Welcome back, everyone. That is Buffalo Springfield for what it's worth. And you're listening to the Exxon Radio Show right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and on Simul Radio. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, TV. And if you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, and of course we're talking to Ellen Everett Hopman, her website is www.ellenevereth.hopman.com. And, um, you know, if the Druids are so embedded in history, how have they been able to survive in today's society when many other uh, organizations uh, or religious or power religious uh, sociological groups have vanished well there's no um co- continuation from the ancient druids to modern times there's no unbroken lineage wow. in other words mm-hmm. um but what did survive were stories we have lots of stories of gods and goddesses um we know different rituals that they did um you know, we have a lot of pieces, but there's no unbroken tradition. So what modern Druids are doing, especially Celtic Reconstructionist Druids, is we're putting the pieces back together. And we're leaving out the nasty bits, uh, like we don't do animal sacrifice, we don't use women as units of currency, you know, things like that. We left out that part. But uh, we're... we're trying to put the the spirituality back together, which is basically nature spirituality. It's about seeing the sacred Mm -hmm. within all things, within trees, within rocks, within herbs, within flowers, within animals, within people. That's really what we do. Do you think it's possible that one of the reasons that Druidism is, is still around is that people, especially in today's society, are still searching for answers that they just can't find in traditional religious uh, philosophies. Well, that's definitely part of it. There's a big disillusionment with organized religion. Mm -hmm. Um, 
especially since the whole pedophile scandal happened. Yeah. Oh my uh, gosh, yes. Yeah, I mean, in, in Ireland, for example, that, that's the most Catholic of countries. You know, mm-hmm. most of the Catholic priesthood is Irish. It's Irish-style Catholicism. Um, only 5% of the Irish go to church now. And I've been to Ireland many times, and, and I, what I'm struck by when I go there um, is that the people still have this very deep sense of reverence and spirituality and devotion, but they, they don't want to give it to the church anymore. They just, they're too fed up and disgusted, and they're, they're slowly turning back. They're turning back to their uh, Druid roots. Um, big fire ceremonies are coming back, and Druidism is growing mm-hmm. by leaps and bounds. Um, and it's just really something to see, because they have that same kind of humble spirituality that they always did, but now they're 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 moving it in back to their old religion, which is, for me, it's very nice to see that. Is there any connection between Druidism and Wicca or witchcraft? Well, in the sense that we're both pagan religions, mm-hmm. and people say, "What is pagan? What does that mean?" Pagan just means non-Judeo-Christian Islamic, because the the people of the book, you know, as that's what the Muslims call it. But if you are Judeo-Christian Islamic, then it all goes back to to a book, you know, the Quran or the Bible. Um, pagans are everybody else. We're all the people that are not part of those books, you know. We're and that encompasses most of the world. I would I would say, but. Um, I can't remember what was your question. <laughs> no, you you answered it, believe it or not. You know, I I remember I was at a, a like giving a lecture or a seminar about ten years ago, and somebody asked me what paganism was, and I said, "Well, they're the you know that's what invented Christmas. Without pagans, you wouldn't have Christmas." That's correct. You and know, Easter, exactly. And all the other holidays, I, exactly. You know, and it's just <laughs> like. Oh, the Yule log, the tree inside the house, and the list goes on and on and on. And yet when you look at the marketing of of Catholicism and Christianity, it's all based on the, as you and I were just discussing, the, the, uh, the influence that Druidism and paganism has had in our society, and yet they never get the credit for it. Well, they, it took about a thousand years to convince Europeans that they were Christian. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and, and in some places, like in France, for example, it was really terrible. Um, you know, the, the violence that went on. Uh, in Ireland, there was no violence. It's very interesting. Well, that's um, because everybody was drunk. <laughs> well, also, there's something about the Irish character. They had so much reverence for the Druids, and the mm-hmm. Druids were the learned people. They were the lawyers, the yeah. judges, the priests and priestesses and all that. And when the monks came in, the monks were very wily. The missionaries came in, and the first thing they did, and we are actually grateful to them, they started writing down all the sacred stories and writing down about the gods and goddesses, because they had to know all that in order to be able to convert people, because they had to walk into the village and sound like they knew something. You know, so. Yes, but it's also a historical fact that when the monks did, I'm Irish. My, my family is our direct descendants from Ireland on my father's side. So this is how, why I can actually kind of poke the Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And, you know, it, it, what people don't realize is that the monks used to do a lot of traveling in Ireland. And it was the monks that when they went to the different villages and uh, did the different uh, things, they brought with them something that they created called mead. So whenever there was a monk that would come to a village, the villagers would always go greet the monk and treat them very nice because they would always get some of the mead that huh. the monks would make. Now, I've never heard that before. That's new. Yeah. That's excellent. The other thing they brought were these fantastic stories. That's right. You know, the stories from the Bible. So yeah. imagine you're sitting around drinking mead, hearing all these great stories, mm -hmm. and there's this wonderful hero named Jesus who was so great that he couldn't even die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, what's not to like, you know? Yeah, I, I, I remember hearing one story where there was, uh, there was a, a monk that had gone into a village, and they had been into the mead. And a villager asked the monk, you know, how Jesus walked across the, the Sea of Galilee. And the monk said, that's because he knew where the rocks were. Think about that one for a second. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my goodness>. What? <laughs> oh. Hey, listen, if there is a God and if there is a heaven, I know for a fact doing this show for 30 years, I'm going to hell in a handbasket. You know? <laughs> well, if God has a sense of humor, you'll be okay. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's, an that's another story for another show that you and I will have to have. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so, so what happened was in Ireland, the mm -hmm. Druids, um, because they were the intellectuals, the intellectual class, and the monks were intellectuals, and the Druids and the monks hung out, and eventually the Druids and the monks kind of got together and created the Chaldee, um, and they created Celtic Christianity, which didn't look much like Roman Christianity. It was a whole different animal. They had men and women living together in communities, just like any good Celtic community. Hey, we know. do that now. And they weren't yeah. um, celibate. No. I mean, that, that made no sense, right? Why would you be celibate? Um, and then, of course, at, what happened was eventually the Roman church um, took over. Yep. And I like to think that the Roman church finished off the job that the Roman armies started, you know, when the Romans tried to conquer Europe and... Mm -hmm. Got, got stopped. They never got to Ireland, by the way, but they got stopped by the Scots, um, by the Picts. Um, but the church did the job. They finished the job. So I write novels about that, actually. I have a whole trilogy of novels, Priestess of the Forest, the Druid Isle, and um, Priestess of the Fire Temple. But you see, that's they, another thing about Druidism. They yeah. give the priestess the credit that the priestess deserves. Well, yeah, that's that's the old Celtic religion. Yeah. There were female druids, yeah. just like there were female warriors right. and female battle leaders and female judges and female yeah. lawyers. And there's you know. nothing wrong with that. I I think that society is better today because of the female within the role that they should have been in from day one. Well, that's part of what the Roman Church did. The Roman Church came in. Mm -hmm. And it tried to, and it succeeded, it imposed Roman ideas about what a woman should be. A good Roman woman yeah. should have covering on her head, you know, yep. like cloth on her head and, and uh, 
should be seen and not heard and stay in the home and, and, you know, not carry weapons and all Mm. that, that all came from the, from the Roman church. Really? Again, it took about a thousand years. People rebelled against it. Women rebelled against Mm -hmm. it, you know, and, um, in some areas it was horribly violent in other areas. It was less so, um, but, you know, it, it wasn't pretty. Well, <laughs> what it, it, and I like to say that we're still, especially as women, we're still trying to recover. Yes. We're still trying to recover what we had 2,000 years ago. Yeah, you know, if you want to freak somebody out, you know, uh, have you ever, you know, like the, the picture of the great Romans that we see in Hollywood movies, you know, they're big, they're tall, they're strong, you know, and da-da-da-da-da. You know, you, you can imagine the typical Roman scenario on TV, right? Am I yeah. right? Okay, now, in reality, let's put let's put uh, Pasquale's Pizzeria in Ma- downtown New York beside it because you're talking about Romans. You know, you've got the perception of the real Roman who owns the pizzeria, and then the Hollywood uh, depiction of the Romans because the Romans were the first Italians, right? Right. Well, no, there were Etruscans before that, but. I, but... I must be doing something wrong today because all my jokes are just going right over your head. That's it. No more jokes for the rest of the night. <laughs> sorry. Don't be sorry. My producer's happy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just find it, you know, funny that, you know, you think of this big Roman, like, you know, who's so forceful, so powerful. And, you know, you look at the Italians of today and they mostly own pizzerias. Mind you, I do enjoy pizza. Nine six seven eleven eleven. Okay, so much for history, and I'm sure I'll get a call from the Vatican before the night's out. What are the religious, or the, or the ceremonial uh, festivities that are in Druidism? For example, do Druids get married? Sure course um yeah weddings funerals (laughs) there's hand fastings those are weddings um uh funerals you know get buried under Mm -hmm. a nice cairn of stones that would be very druidic uh in the forest probably somewhere um the the high holy days are beltane the altina which is also called may day um lunasa which is, we don't have that in English, Lamas, Lunasa, um, Samhain, or Halloween, right? and Imbolc, which is uh, St. Bridget, who was originally the goddess Bridget, but morphed into St. Bridget. You and I have to take a commercial break. That was good timing on your part. Thank you so much for that. And um, when we come back, more of this interesting topic about Druidism and herbalism. And uh, we're going to be talking about the books that our guest this hour has written. Her name is Ellen Everett Hopman, and she is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild and the author of a number of books. If you'd like to find out more information about Ellen, visit her website at www.elleneverethopman.com. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We'll be back on the other side of this break. That's if the Vatican doesn't abduct me. Don't go away. Makes my heart beat fast. 
We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast, but the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them, and if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just two dollars. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 32 32 32 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 32 32 32 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 32 32 32 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 32 32 32 now text grade to 32 32 32 Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. And if you'd like to send me an email, Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And for the broadcast schedule of the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is Ellen Everett Hopman, and her website is EllenEverettHopman.com. How can herbs be used in today's fast-moving, fast-paced society. How can herbs help us all? Well, as I, as I mentioned before, I'm always working on my immune system. Mm-hmm. I think in, in our culture, it's really important. I mean, right now we're facing the virus, but before that, you know, we still had air pollution and stress and, yeah. you know, all kinds of assaults. So I, I think people should always be working on something and every, again, everybody's different, so you need to identify um, which part of your body uh, needs help. You know, for some people, it's their heart. For other people, it might be their lungs, might be their liver, might be their joints, you know, whatever it is. And then just try to find a, an herb that will support that. 
and um, or different herbs and just keep working on it. You know, um, that's that's what I try to do. It's just throughout my life, I'm always working with something, mm-hmm. you know. How does Western medicine um, regard herb, herbs and uh, the use of herbs within the medical community, if any? Well, things have really changed. There's actually a physician's uh, herbal PDR, a physician death, yeah. desk reference now. Um, uh, doctors used to really look down on it, um, mm-hmm. but I think they, they've now accepted it and, uh, you know, there's more and more interest. Um, that's, that's what I find. At least my doctor, I'm very lucky. I have a regular MD that I go to. There, I, what I like to use a doctor for is things like blood tests mm-hmm. and, you know, things that, that I can't do and that most of us can't do. Um, and to get a diagnosis, things like that. Um, and then once you have the diagnosis, then you can start looking for natural remedies that might help. Because Western medicine is uh, very, very good at repairing damage, repairing broken things mm-hmm. and you know trauma, things like that. But chronic conditions, I think um, you're much better off working with uh, your diet, with herbs, you know, things, things like acupuncture and um, homeopathy and herbalism, things like, you know, for the long haul, when you have a chronic condition, that's the way to go. When we look at herbal herbalists, can we actually say that they were the original pharmacists? Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, her- herbalists have been around for millions of years, mm-hmm. and even animals know how to do it. You know? Yeah, and I'll give you a perfect example. One of our dogs, when she's not feeling well, she'll go out into the yard eat grass. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's what that's how people started. They watched the animals. And uh-huh. um, there's I, recently I was reading a book about how um, people used to follow the bears around because the bears were experts on what to eat in the forest, and mm. that's how people figured out what to eat that was safe to eat that wouldn't poison you, you know, but that's just one example. I'm sure that in Africa, you know, I don't think they had bears. I don't know, but they were probably watching the, you know, the chimpanzees or whatever, but that's how people have always learned. Um, otherwise we wouldn't be here. We would all be dead. You know, it's like, um, yeah, herbalism is, it's just part of being human. And I think that all humans need to have a basic, knowledge mm-hmm. of herbalism it's something we've had and for thousands of years or millions of years and it's a shame to lose it you know we need it um everybody these days under a lot of stress how can herbs help people who are stressed uh, stressed out beyond belief uh you know there are a lot of people today with high blood pressure what can herbs what can herbs do for them and which herbs would do it Oh boy, there's so many. Um, but uh, there, there's some really nice ones uh, if you're feeling really stressed. Mm-hmm. But again, you have to, you have to pay attention. If you're taking um, regular medicine, you know, allopathic medicine, you have to look up before you take any herb. You have to check for herb and drug contraindication. That's really important. You can't just willy-nilly mix herbs and drugs. 
you know, if your doctor has you on something, mm -hmm. don't just start taking herbs um, without really you have to look up um, herb and drug contraindications. You can look that up on Google um, or herb and drug interactions. And then you put in the herb that you want to take and you put in the drug that you're taking and you hope that the tests have been done and they'll tell you whether it's uh, safe or not. That's really important. Um, but, but we have wonderful herbs. Um, kava kava is a beautiful herb that, that it's kind of a euphoriant. And so you have to be careful with it. it. When I take it, I'm so sensitive to it. I get so happy that I literally will drive through a red light. <laughs> I mean, I had that happen. It's kind of scary. Um, I, I went through the light and I said, oh, did I just go through a red light? You know, because I was kind of high from it. But if you're really anxious, um, stay home and take kava kava. You know, that's just one example. Um, well, that, that's a, that brings a good question. Is, is cannabis a, a, a herb, a natural herb? Of course. It's mm. a green plant, right? So anything that's a green plant is a herb. Well, that's kind of the definition of an herb. Herb or herb. Yeah, it's a, it's a medicinal green plant. Mm. Um, cannabis is a great one. Yeah. Uh, CBD. Um, if it works for you, you know, some people right. can smoke cannabis and get paranoid. Other people smoke cannabis and they feel relaxed, you know. Um, that's the other thing. You, you can't just make a blanket statement about something is going to be good for everybody. You can't do that. Each person, you, you do the research, you look up the plants, mm -hmm. you see what you think is good for you. You try it on yourself and see what happens, see how you react to it. Um, yeah, because everybody is different. So it would have a, you know, like it would have a different effect on the different person based on their, their physiology, their chemistry, and as Absolutely. well as, you know, the yeah, amount so that they take and everything people, else. Yeah. Some people just need a little tiny bit. Some mm -hmm. people need a lot, you know, and you don't know until you try. Another really nice herb uh, that's very gentle that won't make you drive through red lights is uh, lemon balm. It's called Melissa or lemon balm. I really like that one. Um, it just makes you feel happy. It makes you feel relaxed. Um, that's one to look into, uh, you know, um, look, go to my books. I have <laughs> lots of herbs listed in there. Um, you know, and then food diet is a whole big part of oh, it. Oh, big time, big time. Yeah. What about, uh, let's get back to Druidism, uh, Druidism, uh, for a few minutes here, because uh, I've been fascinated by Druids ever since I learned about them. What about some of the holidays that, or festivals that Druids celebrate, like May Day? What is the significance of May Day, and what is its origin, and is it still celebrated today? Well, Mel, uh, Bealtaine in the Irish, or Beltane, mm -hmm. or May Day in the English, um, is just as important for the for the Druids and and in Celtic spirituality. Uh, Beltane is just as important as Halloween. Halloween and Beltane. Halloween is, we call it Samhain, and uh, May Day is Bealtaine. But um, Halloween is a portal between summer and winter, and Beltane is a portal between winter and summer. Because for the ancient Celts, 
they only had two seasons. They had winter and summer. That was it. The light half of the year, the dark half of the year. So the big festivals that mark that transition Mm -hmm. are Samhain and Beltane. So those are the most important. And um, for some reason, our society is fine with Halloween. And we spend millions of dollars or more, billions of dollars on candy. If you think about Canada and the U.S. and all over the world now, um, you know, people wear costumes, they eat candy, they go trick-or-treating, they do, you know, they, they celebrate Halloween, but they've forgotten about May Day. And both of those times, if you're a Druid or if you're practicing Celtic spirituality, those are both spirit nights when the walls between the worlds are very thin Mm -hmm. and it's the time when it's easiest to communicate with ancestors and with the fairies because every all the spirits are moving in and out between the worlds at at that time i mean the fairies are always here the spirits are always here the ancestors are always here but at those times the walls between the, the worlds are very thin And what happened in the U.S., I don't know what happened in Canada, but in the U.S., um, in the 1950s, we had the Cold War with Mm -hmm. Russia. And the Russians always had this big May Day parade. And um, so the uh, American government pretty much put the kibosh on May Day because uh, in, in the 1950s, when I was in kindergarten and first grade in the late 1950s, um, we were still celebrating May Day in school and uh, making May baskets and hanging them on people's doors. Yeah. And and they put a stop to all that because they didn't want any connection to the Russians and their May Day parade, you know? So, um, but May Day is, it's still celebrated uh, in England, of course, with Maypoles. Mm -hmm. And um, in Ireland, it's the May Bush, which is a whole different thing. It's not the Maypole, it's the May Bush. And the May bush is usually a small tree, like a hawthorn. Right. Um, and you decorate it. In the old days, they would decorate it with things that were yellow, uh, like marsh marigolds, dandelions, you know, anything yellow. And eggshells dyed yellow and yellow ribbons. And that was specifically to honor the sun. Right. Because it was the, the beginning of, um, you know, the sun was coming back, summer, mm-hmm. all that. But now, of course, you see ribbon, you see uh, plastic ribbons and plastic eggs and all different colors. You know, it's a whole different thing. But um, the original way to do it was with yellow to honor the sun. And then maybe you would have a nice bonfire nearby and you would drink some whiskey and you would dance around the tree, have a good old time. That's the Irish style. You know, the English style is more the maypole and everybody dressed in mm-hmm. white and doing the dance around the pole and well do you know what the difference between an irish wedding and an irish wake is no one less drunk <laughs> okay that one you got hmm yeah I guess. <laughs> you know you well, were talking you were talking about a bush in irish in ireland yes well a they you know it's called a may bush a may bush in ireland and then you've got the george bush in texas I, where are these coming from tonight? You bring the worst out in me, you know that? It's your fault, Ellen. Uh, oh. It's the fairies. Yeah, it's always the fairies. <laughs> Let's not go there. We've got to take a final break. Thank, uh, thank you, Craig. <laughs> ah, are you okay? 
Ellen? Oh, I'm fine. I'm having a drink of water with no whiskey. Yeah, right. Okay. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break, Exxon Nation, as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Crystal Beach, Fort Erie, Ontario, on the shores of Lake Erie. Uh, people say, well, Rob, whereabouts is Fort Erie? Well, we're right across the Niagara River where, the, where uh, Lake Erie turns into the Niagara River. On one side, on the Canadian side, you have Fort Erie, and on the American side... You have our good friends and neighbors in Buffalo, New York. More on the other side of this break. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Back everyone. This is the Exxon. I'm Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And for the broadcast schedule of the Exxon Broadcast Network and the great shows that we have available to you, 724-365, visit www.xzbn.net. We're talking about druidism this hour, herbalism, and a lot more. Our guest this hour is Ellen Everett Hopman, and her website is www.ellenevereth.hopman.com. As a druid, what has been the strangest thing that has happened to you? Hmm. Gosh. <laughs> I, well, I mean, besides I, coming on this show. Yeah. Well, I, I used to have people coming to the house. That hasn't happened in over a year now, but... Um, I used to have people come here regularly mm-hmm. um, for campouts, and uh, you know we would have workshops and classes and so on. And uh, we would always open a fairy portal in the land um, so that the spirits could join us. You know that was just something we always did. Mm-hmm. And every time we did that, um, I swear, every time we did that, we had some incredibly unusual thing uh one time we were sitting in the circle because we would open the the ferry portal in the land and then we would sit in chairs in a mm-hmm. circle one time a whole huge troop of green spiders appeared and 
we looked down and we were all covered in green spiders. That was one time. Um, and another time uh, we had this, well, we had a huge dragonfly come and sit on somebody. Another time we had a huge spider drop down in the exact center of the circle, came down from a tree and just hung there. It was the biggest thing I've ever seen. It was yellow and black. And then another time we had a moose <laughs> because everybody um, went to sleep in their tent and they got up in the morning and there was a moose standing in the circle. And that actually went on for two days. The moose came, came back again and just stood there in the circle. So, um, wow. I mean, that, that was really interesting. And then another time uh, they came and it was we had this terrible drought. It hadn't rained for two months or, or more. And the woods were just bone dry and the animals were suffering mm. and everything was dry. And there's a stream behind my house. And the stream bed was absolutely dry. And so we said, okay, we're going to do something about it. And we did a ritual. Oh, this is, okay, so this is kind of involved. But I make every year at Imbolc, which is February 1st, 2nd, um, I make a bride doll, which is a, a doll dedicated to the goddess Bridget. And I make it out of wheat. So I have all these bride dolls from each year. I have a whole collection of them. So I took four of them. We, we buried one in the ground. We mm -hmm. burned one in the fire. Um, we put one in the bed of the stream. So now we have fire, earth, water. And for the air one, I think we just left it on top of a rock or something. That night, there was a huge thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> and then the following morning, the stream was full of water. Wow. Yeah. Now, now do you put this to... Coincidence, or do you put no, it to the not, not coincidence? No, <laughs> no. I mean, we were we were shocked and surprised, but we we had also made um, very beautiful offerings mm -hmm. in the forest. Uh, in addition to the the bride dolls, the wheat they were made out of wheat. We also had left uh, milk offerings and um, f flowers and and fruit and things like that out in the woods. So, I mean, a lot of intention went into it. Right. But it was very nice. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. So yeah. so what are these fairies? Now, when people talk about fairies, you know, I think of Tinkerbell. No. No? No. <laughs> no. Tinkerbell is a Disney Well, I, I know, invention. but, you know, I, I yeah. think Disney and, uh, you know, may have helped people to acknowledge that, you know, this is what a fairy may look like. In, in reality, in Druidism, what is a fairy and what do they look like and where do they come from? Okay, well, it's a whole different thing. <laughs> the way the world works mm -hmm. is under the ground, under the ground, you have the she realm, which is where the fairies are, and they're in the same place as the ancestors. And then you have sort of Middle Earth, which is where the trees and the animals and the people are. And then you have the sky realm which is where the gods and goddesses are. And um, the she realm is, these are, well, they could be many different sizes, but if you really know fairy tradition, some of them are extremely scary. They can kill you. For example, a water horse, a Kelpie, could drag you into a lake and drown you. I mean, they're not these little Tinkerbell figures. Um, some of them 
are creatures of light. You know, some of them help the plants to grow, and mm-hmm. uh, there's just many different kinds. But um, but it, you have to have a lot of respect for them. Um, and you know, if you've been to Ireland, you know there's strong prohibitions about going into a fairy fort or uh, cutting any trees down that are growing near or on a fairy fort. You know, you don't do that um, because, you know, bad things can happen. Well, why don't you describe what a fairy fort is for our listeners? Uh, it's it's a, an, an ancient ring structure or an ancient collection of stones or stone walls. You know, something that belongs to the ancestors. Would that also be classified as a fairy circle? Well, fairy circle has different meanings. <laughs> a fairy circle could be a mushroom circle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a fairy fort is different, I guess, I from, a mushroom, from a mushroom circle. But uh, usually it's a, it, a fairy fort is usually a really old structure, you know, Neolithic, Iron Age, something like that. That's been there for a long time because the ancestors and the fairies are all in the same dimension. They dwell in the same place. And so if you want to make offerings to the fairies, this is why the Celts would throw things into water. You know, they would throw jewelry and weapons and shields and all kinds of stuff into lakes and rivers because when you throw things into water, they go down mm-hmm. to the she realm, to the place where the fairies and the ancestors are. That's how you make offerings. If you want to make offerings to the sky realm, where the gods and goddesses are, you put them in fire. Is that and why the, people throw coins into a wishing well? Exactly. That's, gotcha. That is our memory. It's our weak memory of what mm-hmm. we used to do. Because people used to commission jewelry just to throw it in water. You know, and the Romans, when the Romans uh, came into Western Europe, they couldn't believe it. They they realized that the lakes and the ponds were filled with gold and silver. So they would buy the rights to dredge the lakes. That's what they did. The Roman generals. And they went in and they grabbed all this stuff. But no, no self-respecting Celt would have touched that stuff because those were offerings. You know, they were sacred gifts. That were given to the ancestors. They wouldn't touch it, but the Romans came in and they stole it all. And did anything bad happen to the Romans because they did this? Well, their cult, their society didn't last. You know, the Roman Empire mm-hmm. collapsed. And, and Druids believe it was because of the the dredging of these lakes and the... <laughs> No, I don't think anybody, I've never heard anybody say that, but, okay. but, uh, you know, the Roman, they, they, they went too far. They kept going North and they right. were eventually stopped by the Scots, you know, they, they couldn't go any further. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the Celts were attacking Rome itself. And then the Romans got really paranoid and they called back all the, the troops back to Rome. And eventually the whole thing fell apart, you know? Um, but then, like I said, I think the Roman church picked up where the armies left off. And, uh, that's a whole other story. (laughs) It's a whole nother show. (laughs) Yes. So what, what, what do you, what have you got planned for the future? More books on the way? Are you doing any, any lectures, any classes? 
Oh, yeah. If you look on my website, I have my schedule there. I, I have a, a whole bunch of things coming up. In fact, I have something this weekend coming up. Um, but, yeah, I'm working on – I have a children's book that's coming out in a few months. It doesn't have a title yet. But I, it, I'm working with a fabulous uh, artist, uh, Lauren Mills. Um, and I, I, I have a blog, and in my blog I, I put a – um, an example of one of the illustrations mm -hmm. she did. She's just doing a beautiful job. And uh, it's a book of old European stories for children, um, very druidic. Right. And, um, and then I'm also working on another book, an herbal, The Sacred Herbs of Yule and Christmas, which I'm working on now. And then we were talking about the festivals before. I have yes. a book called The Sacred Herbs of Spring, which is all about Beltane, Beltana, mm -hmm. with all the herbs and all the lore and how to design a, a Beltane ritual and uh, foods that you can use for magic um, at that time of year. And then I have another book called The Sacred Herbs of Samhain. Samhain is Halloween. If you, t if you have those two, um, you can really celebrate properly. Um, and then I have, I think I have about 15 books in print right now. My goodness. Yeah, you're one I'm, busy lady, and that's not including the the lectures that you do and the speaking engagements. And uh, wow. Yeah, if you go to my website, by the way, it's e l l e n e v e r t h o p m a n dot com, Hopman dot com, and you look at my schedule. All the workshops and classes that are coming up are Zoom classes mm -hmm. now uh, you know for obvious reasons yeah so so people from anywhere in the world can participate and i just got invited actually in july i'm going to be lecturing to a group in india <laughs> that's the first um but uh yeah it's great i mean you can have people from all over the world now so what are your final thoughts for the exonation i've got about a minute to give you on this Oh boy. Well, if you're if you're interested in druidism and you you just want to get an introduction to the spirituality, um, I have a, a a trilogy of novels as I mentioned Priestess of the Forest is the first one. Mm -hmm. The Druid Path is in those novels. Uh, old Irish glossary in each book, old Irish terms, and then I also have a Druid order where if you really want to study with us, uh, it's tribeoftheoak.com. And uh, Tribe of the Oak is very Irish-oriented, very uh, Celtic Reconstructionist. Uh, we require people to do a lot of reading, mm -hmm. and then they have one-on-one -on -one training. Foster, we call it fostership, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and you end up becoming a Druid initiate. But it takes a few years. Most people take about three to five years to to do the work so so does it help if you go down to your local irish pub and drink a lot of guinness while you're doing that course well that always helps I'll yeah drink. the waters of life i'll drink to that ellen i want to thank you so much for joining us a great pleasure talking to you thank you for all the great work that you do and i look forward to the next time that you and i meet back here in the exxon until then my friend stay well stay safe and always be happy take care now all right exxon nation once again, if you'd like to get more information about our guest this hour, her name again is Ellen Everett Hopman, and her website is E-L-L-E-N-E-V-E-R-T-H-O-P-M-A-N.com. Very interesting lady, interesting topic. And we'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news. 
As we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Fort Erie, Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. ba 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 